Well, many of you in here have probably said at one point or another that Thomas, the disciple, resonates with you. Maybe not, but I have. Uh, Thomas is often called Thomas the Doubter, right? Thomas the Doubter is what we often call him. But, but maybe a better title, maybe updated for today's thinking, is Thomas the Skeptic. Thomas the Skeptic. A skeptic is a person inclined to question or doubt accepted opinions. And this is often Thomas, isn't it? He's frank about discussions. He isn't interested in playing around. He doesn't want to play games. He wants clear explanations and even verifiable proof sometimes. He says, I want to touch the wound, Jesus. And until I touch it, I'm not going to believe it. And in our text this morning, Jesus will say, you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas immediately, immediately rebuts the saying, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And many of you in this room will feel the same way after reading this text. Jesus is giving answers. It's plain and it's right there before us. But it's really hard to follow him and what he's actually saying in this text. He says, we know the way. But it might feel like we still don't know what he's talking about. right? He's going to say, you know it. But we might say, yeah, I don't really know if I know it. So my purpose this morning is to begin to show you, because this is going to be a, a couple-part series, uh, to begin to show you why Jesus is telling his disciples to not let their hearts be troubled. That's going to be my point this morning. There's a lot of misreading when it comes to this chapter, so I want to take it slow and break it down uh, bit by bit into multiple sermons so that we can let the truth of it sink in. So, we are going to read the entirety of the chapter because I want you to get the big picture view. I want you to see the whole context and, and even make some uh, uh, references uh, throughout to other scriptures. But ultimately, we're just going to be looking at verse 1 and 2, even though there's a whole chapter we're going to read before us. So the text this morning is John chapter 14. We're going to look at the, the whole thing as we read it now and look at verses 1 through 31. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not a scared said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The word of God for his people. Father, that's a lot of scripture. We pray that you would help us this morning to be able to get a big picture idea about this whole chapter as we start with just the few couple verses at the beginning. I pray you'd open our hearts. I pray that we would be receptive. Lord, we know that the only way that we're going to be able to make sense of these words on this page is to be able to unite with you by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate the text so that we might be able to see what is clearly being said to us. We pray that our hearts would be in the right place. And Lord, we pray that you would apply these truths to our lives so that we might be able to live faithfully in your kingdom. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, this chapter is going to take multiple sermons to cover all the ground here. So I wanted to start with just these two verses uh, that might be the biggest hurdle for many of us to get over. It may seem uh, like we're not covering much ground, but unless we can answer these two questions, I do not think that we can make sense of the rest of the chapter. And the two questions that we're going to be answering today are, number one, why should we not let our hearts be troubled? That's the question that we're going to ask. Why should we not let our hearts be troubled? And number two, what is the Father's house with many rooms? Okay, These two questions we're going to ask, and we'll start with the second first. What is the Father's house with many rooms? By show of hands, I'm just curious. How many of your translations say the Father's house with many mansions? Maybe about half, okay? So so some people are seeing rooms, some people are seeing mansions. And many of you in here, including myself, have read this pe- passage about the mansions as if, as if it referred to heaven. 
We're thinking heaven, right? Preachers have pumped up this imagery of you having this beautiful mansion to live in. right? You're going to live there and it's going to be really beautiful. Uh, uh, But let me be Thomas for a second. Let's be Thomas the skeptic and ask a couple questions about the uh, assumptions that people may have made. Well, first, is mansion really the best translation for today? The Greek word used here for mansion is monai, which most translations translate as rooms or dwelling places today. The King James is a little bit dated, 1600s. So some of the the new modern translations, they say room or dwelling place. Okay. Now, the same Greek word monai is used later in the text in verse 23. Okay. In verse 23, it says this. It says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our, there's the word, make our home with him, make our home with him. Okay. The ESV says home. The King James says abode. This time seems a lot more humble than mansion, right? Uh, Abode makes a lot more sense. So the ESV uh, says uh, room and King James says mansion. What are we to do with this? Well, uh, you might be wondering where the mansions even came from in the first place. How did we get here? Well, it was actually an English translation that was heavily influenced by the Latin Vulgate. That was one of the translations that they heavily considered when they're translating the Bible. And in the Latin translation, it says I'm going to try to say this right. Mansion, mansions. Okay, I don't speak Latin. We need Greg here today. He actually teaches Latin. Uh, so I, I'm going to I'm going to botch the way that I say this. But basically, it's spelt the exact same way. Only there's an e between the n and the s and mansions. Anyway. Basically, what we see is this comes from a Latin word, and at this point, uh, this word simply meant dwelling place. Back in the the Latin uh, Vulgate, it just meant a dwelling place, an abode, kind of a home. And it's also from which we get the word manse. You can kind of hear it, can't you? There it is. Mansion, manse, which is a house dedicated to a minister. Usually sits right next to the church, kind of a spiritual house, okay? So we got this better picture now of what the text is actually saying. So what's my point? Well, my first point is that mansion can be misleading because we've come to think of mansions as these large, luxurious, even Victorian homes of wealth. We start thinking wealth, don't we? And some, when Jesus talks about a house with rooms or a house with many mansions, our minds jump straight uh, to being part of this rich estate for self-indulgence, doesn't it, many times? Okay? And even if we don't think of a modern-day mansion, we might be tempted to think, oh, uh, lots of rooms, right? I like my space. That kind of thing. Like, oh, heaven would be great where I'm not around other people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like if I had to live around other people. So naturally, naturally, we've not only assumed it must be talking about heaven, but further we've taken another step and said that heaven is essentially a place of luxury ta- tailored to me. It's a place where I get what I want. So we've read this, let not your hearts be troubled. One day you'll be rich and retired, essentially. Okay, that, That's really what the American gospel has led us to believe. So obviously there's some heart issues, right? If, if we've come to believe this, maybe our hearts aren't in the right place, and that's informed the way that we have read this text. So let's think about how much sense this actually makes. Jesus is speaking to heart-sick individuals here. Look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay? So they're heartsick. Uh, why is it that we have read Jesus' cure for the heartache as riches? The very thing that Judas just left Jesus to betray him for, right? 
Maybe he's not saying, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, There's going to be riches or something better on the other side. How comforted would you be? Think about this. If your loved one said that they were about to leave, they were about to die maybe, uh, and you expressed your heartache to them. My heart's troubled. I love you. We've, We've been together all these years. And that person said, don't worry. My father's rich and there's going to be a great inheritance for you. Right. That, that wouldn't bring you much comfort to your troubled heart, would it? That, but that's essentially the way that many of us have incorrectly read this passage. The comfort is ultimately rooted in things, not in Jesus himself. OK, the healing balm of heartache of a sick heart is not mammon. It's not money. It, it's the abiding presence of Christ. That is where you get your comfort. That's the kind of uh, the comfort and presence that will never leave you or forsake you. Right? In those hard times when your hearts are troubled, that's what you need. The heart, uh, the kind uh, that hears your every prayer. The kind that not only looks down from heaven at your sorrow, knows what you're going through because he sees it, but the kind that actually came to live in it. That's the Jesus that we know. That's the presence that these uh, disciples are fearing is going to leave them. That's what they're scared that they're going to miss out on. So don't hear me say this morning that money is a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm not even saying that being rich is a problem. I would love for you all to be rich if that's the way that you glorify God most. Okay, There's the caveat. But that's the problem. Far too often we're willing to receive the gifts, but we don't want the gift giver. Okay? We just want the gift. We want his mansions, but we don't want God inside our mansion telling us how to live it. Right? We want the Father's house and all his stuff, but we don't want him telling us how to live in it. Okay, That's the problem. And and if hard times hit and you find yourself starting to to shop shop on Amazon and uh, start to buy a bunch of things, maybe it is that money has become your comfort. Maybe it's that you're replacing what should be the presence of Christ, should be running to him with money and gifts and material things. Maybe that's the heart issue that you're dealing with. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there for the Holy Spirit to do something there. So that, that covers the heart issue, though. Okay, that, that, that heart issue might have caused us to read this text wrong. But what about the text itself? Okay, Set, Step aside the heart issues for a second. Let's think like Thomas and keep getting skeptical about what people have told us. Because maybe it's not even our hearts that have been in the wrong place. Maybe people have just read this wrong and told us the wrong thing. What is it that Jesus is saying here? Uh, if he's not saying that we're going to be rich, what is it? Rather than returning to, to the televangelist to say, oh, it is going to be riches. It is going to be this big mansion. Let's just look at the Bible. Let's look at what scripture tells us. Okay. So as it turns out, this isn't the first time that the Bible talks about the father's house. Right? This isn't a new concept. If you look through the, all the Old Testament, the saints long to be in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is what they call it. We might say the Father's house. Now, before you think that that's a stretch, just think about what they're talking about. They long to be in the Father's house. They're not talking about rich mansions for self-indulgence, are they? They're talking about what? The temple. Okay, They're talking about the temple. The temple was the place where they would come to worship. The temple was the place where heaven and earth meet together, where God and man come together to meet, where the presence of God was, where the glory was at. That was where they wanted to be. And in fact, okay, if we're thinking about biblically and how do, how do we define the Father's house, this isn't even the first time that Jesus uses the words Father's house. Okay? This isn't the first time. Luke's gospel records Jesus' parents frantically looking for him because they've lost him. 
Remember the boy child Jesus? He's gone. We can't find him. He's been gone for days. Where in the world could he be? Well, Luke 2.49 records this. When they finally find Jesus, what does Jesus say? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Where was Jesus when they found him, by the way? He was in the temple. He was in the temple. Okay, so the biblical hint and Jesus-defined answer to what is the father's house is that it must have something to do with the temple. Okay, that's that's where Jesus' mind goes when he says the father's house because he said it before. But is the temple in Jerusalem what Jesus is talking about here? Is Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. In the temple there are many rooms. Is that what he's saying? Well, probably not, because he's also foretold the destruction of the temple. Right? If you've been following along in, in this gospel, you remember way back in John chapter 2, he, they're at the temple and they're talking about the temple. And then Jesus speaks up and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, which catches everyone off guard. They're like, what? It took us... 46 years to build this. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? They clearly think that he's talking about the temple because that's where they're at. But what does Jesus say then? It it says that he is not talking about uh, the temple physically. He's talking about the temple of his body. Okay? The temple of his body. So in some way, Jesus' body is a temple. And this kind of moves us further down the road of what Jesus is talking about. So let's jump back to our chapter today and look at verse 23. John 14, 23. I've already read it a couple times, but I'm going to read it again. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. Okay, there's that same word that he's talking about here. So historically, at the moment where Jesus is talking, where has been the place where the Father has come to make his home with his people? Where's that been? Where where is the dwelling place, the abode of God the Father when he meets with their people? It's the temple, right? Jesus, or God the Father comes to the temple to meet with his people. But the temple, it's going to be destroyed pretty soon. The the disciples don't know this, but in 70 AD, that temple is going to get wiped to the ground. There is no temple in Israel today. If you go there, you won't find it, and you probably will never find it. Why? Because Jesus is the new temple. Okay? So the place where God and man meets now is what? Where does God and man meet now? I'll give you a couple scriptural hints. First Peter 2 5 says this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We might say father's house. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. That's you, church. You are the temple of God. So if you compile all this biblical information together, we can see much clearer that the Father's house is referring to the temple. Okay, But the temple is no longer a building which stands in Jerusalem. It's you. You are the temple, and it's you because you've been placed in Christ. Remember, it says through Christ. You've been placed in Christ who is the new temple. 
Christ is the new temple. It's the corporate people of God who are the living stones being built up together with Christ being that great cornerstone upon which we are all built up into that spiritual house. If you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, church, you are part of the Father's house with many rooms. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. Okay? But the real question that we need to be asking ourselves, now that we've defined where is the Father's house, what is the Father's house, is how does this keep my heart from being troubled? Because this is the way he's speaking to them, isn't it? His disciples are troubled, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. So he tells them the house analogy. So, recall what's happened thus far in the narrative. Okay? If you think about the whole Gospel of John, after years of exciting ministry with Jesus, his disciples have come to yet another Passover. But this one feels a little bit different, doesn't it? This isn't the, this isn't the same way that they've been interacting with Jesus. Jesus is acting odd. Something's going on with Jesus. Jesus has just told them that one of them would betray him. Well, that's shocking news. You've been following this guy for years, and all of a sudden he tells us, one of you are going to betray me? And then he tells them that he's going away and that they won't be able to follow him. What? You're leaving? That's what they're asking themselves. Jesus then lets John know at, at that Passover meal that Judas is the one that's going to betray him. They're like, Judas? He's been with us all along. What's going on? And finally, Peter is told to his face that he's going to deny him three times. And everyone's like, Peter? The, the one that's kind of leading this whole thing? He's going to deny you three times? Okay, So you can imagine what's going on in the, the, their minds. Uh, what do you mean you're leaving? You've been here. We're set, we're setting up the kingdom, right? We're we're going to move forward. How are, if you're going to be our king? How are we going to do this? Okay. So they're wondering if this relationship with Jesus that, that they've had, this really close, this really intimate, uh, near relationship, where they're able to bring their needs to him. Jesus, I don't know what to think of this. He's right there. Okay. They, they bring it to him because Jesus stands right next to them. They're wondering, is that about to stop? Am I not going to have that anymore? Once they've got, had a taste of this uh, close personal relationship with Jesus, they can't imagine what it would be like if Jesus left them. They're wondering, is this relationship with Jesus about to come to a tragic and abrupt halt? That's why their hearts are troubled. Now, by now, I believe it's obvious that Jesus isn't saying, well, cheer up, guys. Uh, you're going to be rich in heaven one day. That's not actually what he's saying at all. No, the encouragement for the 12 is that this whole thing doesn't end here. It's going to keep on going. He's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Where I'm going, you will be with me afterward. No more will you have to need have need to travel to the temple because after I accomplish what I'm about to do, you will be the temple. The church is the household of God, and it's comprised of many rooms. And because of this, you will all have access to the Father at any time. That is what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's giving them great comfort, great hope to know that he is going to still be near to them after this. And at church, if you think about this, think through the Old Testament, they didn't have that close, intimate relationship with Jesus the way the disciples did. This is something that they longed for. This is something that uh, was far and few between. And the people that did have it, they made it to scriptures and, and they're writing about it like the psalmist. That's the one thing that he longs for. If I could just be in the temple all day long, that's what I would want is what the psalmist says. In Psalm 27, he says this. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing. Think about that. One thing have I asked of the Lord. If you could ask anything, this is what the psalmist says I would ask. 
that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's the one thing that the psalmist wants. If I could just be in the temple all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple, that's what the psalmist says is my number one top. If I could have anything, I would want that. Now think about that. That's what he wanted. And the difference between the psalmist and you is that if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, then whatever enemy assails you like David has come to him, whatever troubling fear that is brought to your heart, it can be eased immediately by knowing that you have access to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit anywhere and at any times. That's amazing. That's really, really amazing. The reality is that for the believer, you do dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life. And that means that the beauty of the Lord, that, that, that beauty that David just wants to, to long and sit and gaze at, he says, it's yours at any moment. You're, you're going to live in the Father's house, is what he's telling his disciples. No trip into, into town to find comfort. You're not going to have to go all the way to take a long pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem. So many people still do that today. Oh, if I could just go to Jerusalem. If I could just go way over there, then I'd feel the presence. Then I'd understand God. You do dwell in the house with many rooms that the Father has given to you. He says, you're with me now. You dwell in the house of the Lord with many rooms. When, when you call upon your father, think of it like this. Think of when you call upon, upon your father, call it like he's in the living room of your house. You're sitting in the bedroom. You're sitting wherever. Maybe you're, uh, well, I was going to make an analogy to this week that I had, I had a long week in the bathroom. Uh, think about that. Think about you can call to your father in those moments. For real, though, that, that's the nearness that we have with our Father in heaven. We call it like he's in the other room. We don't have to go super, super long way away, all the way to Israel. We don't have to go to the temple. We're not like David saying, oh, man, I, I wish that I could just uh, be with the Lord, but I have these other duties i got to get to. Maybe next week I'll make it down. No. Right here, right now, in your heart, that's where we meet with the Lord. That's where we find the presence. And that's what he's telling his disciples that is still going to be there. You're still going to have that, guys. That's what he's saying. You're not going to lose it. We're still going to be close. I'm going to be in your heart. And that's actually going to be real to you. You're going to have a real emotional experience. Psychologically, you're going to have peace. I'm going to be able to lead that with you, is what he's saying. So we've answered these two questions for the day. What is the Father's house with many rooms? It's you, which is pretty surprising if you think about it. The, the time has come where the true worshipers don't go, have to go to this mountain or that mountain, as it says in John chapter 4. We're going to worship here, okay? And number two, why does this bring you comfort? Why does this uh, keep your heart from being troubled? Because we have direct access to God the Father anywhere and at all times, which is an amazing thing. We worship in spirit and truth right here in our own bodies who are offered as living sacrifices. We're able to offer our living uh, as a sacrifice in a temple because we are living in the temple at all times. Think about that. That's how we offer those spiritual sacrifices. That's the way that we normally live our lives as if we are in the temple because we are a temple. Okay? But perhaps the most striking takeaway from this is that the Father's house with many rooms isn't talking about heaven like we've been told that it was, right? That's the, the, we want to put the Thomas glasses on to realize, oh, wait, the televangelist might not have really understood what they were talking about. Okay? So that, that's a little bit shocking. But if, if you keep reading on, think about this. The word heaven is not even mentioned once in this whole chapter. Did you hear the word heaven? No. If you look before in the chapter... You're not, or before in the chapter before this, the word heaven isn't there. If you look in the chapter after the, that, the word heaven isn't there. Jesus isn't talking about heaven, and if he was, he randomly pulled it out for one little second, then he's putting it back away, and then he's talking about some kind of indwelling of the Holy Spirit where we're having this really close connection with God. 
Okay, so you see that what he's talking about is talking about the intimate, close relationship that we have. But, but there is a kernel of truth in that sentiment that the Father's house is heaven. Think about it. Because the temple, the Father's house, is the place where heaven and earth meet, where God and man dwell together, there is this sense in which the Father's house is on earth as it is in heaven in you. Okay? You are the temple. So you are the place where heaven and earth come together. You are the place where God and man comes together because of the Holy Spirit that's given to you. Remember that same glory, that same Holy Spirit that dwelt in the temple? Where is it at now? It's in you, which kind of gets into what we'll talk about next week, but I'll save that for then. So we've answered these questions now, and we can move forward with more questions like how is it true that we are the temple? Okay, How can we be the temple of God, the place where heaven and earth meet? And how does that uh, further knowledge of this truth, of that somehow uh, we are that temple, how does that increase our comfort even more to where Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave you a helper, I'm going to leave you peace, I'm going to give you all these things that actually makes it better. That's what we'll get at in the coming sermons. I'm excited. Ready? All right. We'll go next there. Uh, go there next week, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful uh, that your word is so deep and rich. And Lord, we are so thankful, uh, most of all, as we look at this, that you are so kind to leave us your presence. We thank you that whatever troubling days we may experience, however far we often feel from you, we thank you that you will always be close to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you've gifted to those who believe in you. Lord, I pray that we would tap into that today. Lord, I pray that you would address any heart issues that we might have where we find our comfort in other places than your presence. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we've clung to material goods, thinking that that will give us the comfort that we need. Lord, help us to look to your word to direct us in the ways that our hearts need to be uh, pointed. We thank you that you do that. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, the same spirit that inspired the words. He's with us now. He's in our presence and also indwells those who believe in you. We're thankful today, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.